You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Thank you, Timoshenko. Absolutely beautiful. Fantastic to hear Tim Murphy, the bard of Ballydesmond, the song kicker of Kishtane, knocking the most. Lovely to hear the locally written, handwritten, as it were, song. Lovely to hear Tim. Tim, thank you so much. May God bless you richly, brother. God bless you for the talents that you're pouring out on others. May God bless you. I love the bridge in the song. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Do we believe that today? Do we believe that to be the truth? I want to talk to you today about the extraordinary everyday. You may go, why are you I want to talk to you about the extraordinary everyday. Do you know that without God, the ordinary things that happen in your life can become extraordinary? Do you know that God is doing extraordinary things in your life? in the world, in the church, in your family, in your situation, every day. And sometimes we don't see them. And I want to use this morning some examples from scriptures of where God takes ordinary things and uses them for extraordinary purposes. I want to look today, for instance, at a couple of stories from the book of Acts that are interesting. And we want to look and, and see how God worked in ordinary things to do extraordinary things. They do extraordinary works. I'm thinking this week of the wedding feast at Cana, where Jesus took ordinary water and turned it into beautiful wine. I was thinking about that this week in Waho. Basically, Jesus sped up the process that God is working at in creation anyway. What do I want to say today? This is what I want to say. Through his spirit, God makes the extraordinary ordinary and the ordinary extraordinary. He even makes the ordinary extraordinary. And he makes the extraordinary ordinary in our lives. I'll look at that in a second. Through his spirit, God makes the supernatural natural. And the natural supernatural in our lives. That's what I want to say to you today. If you go away with nothing else other than that, just know that, that God can take the ordinary and turn them into the extraordinary. I want to look at the scriptures. I'm going to look first at the gospel of Mark and the story of Jesus going around healing people. But there's a little detail in this that you just, I think, is worth paying attention to. May I pray simply, God, we pray as we look at your word today, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, would speak to us, Lord. I pray today that those who need to hear your voice will hear your voice through the speaking and the preaching of your word. Lord, let your Holy Spirit take these words and apply them to our hearts and souls, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, to look at the story from Mark's Gospel. What a fantastic story. It's the story of Jesus going around healing people. Always love reading the stories of Jesus healing people. Here's what it reports in Mark's Gospel. Wherever he went, in the villages and cities or the countryside, he brought the sick out into the marketplaces, it goes on to say, they begged him to let the sick at least touch the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. 
Just they, 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 let, they, they let them, they, they let him, they begged him to let the sick at least touch the fringe of his robe. You see, we're all very familiar with the story in Matthew where the woman grabbed the edge of his garment and Jesus said, power has gone out from me. But here in Mark's gospel, we read, actually it was a little bit more common than just that one-off incident. It happened lots and lots of times. And what I like about it is this, they just touched the edge of his cloak. No, Jesus wasn't wearing a magic cloak. He wasn't wearing some a spiritual shroud of some form that was a special shroud in its own right. The, the ordinary thing that he was wearing, he was wearing an ordinary cloak made from natural fibres and yet the ordinary became extraordinary and the natural became supernatural. As people touched it, they were healed. It was just an ordinary thing that God in his might and in his power changed and used in a powerful way. Look at the book of Acts. Here, here's a story from the book of Acts that I find really one of the most interesting little vignettes from the book of Acts. I call it the shadow of the spirit. Here it goes. Those people brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so at least Peter's shadow, his shadow, might fall on some of them as he passed by. No, just it's his shadow. He doesn't have a special spiritual magical shadow. He just has a shadow. And while it doesn't say it explicitly, it is implicit that people were healed by the shadow of Peter falling on them. Peter was so overflowing and so moving in the power of the Spirit that his shadow was actually healing people as he went past. I mean, here's just a perfectly ordinary shadow. It's just a shadow. I cast one. You cast a shadow. It's a normal thing. And a shadow is an interesting thing. It talks about our influence. Shadows speak in the Bible about influence. And here is Peter's influence of his shadow. Just an, or, just an ordinary shadow being cast. And yet it's being used in an extraordinary way. And, and you talk about just a natural phenomena. The natural phenomena of the sunlight hitting Peter. And the shadow being cast. You can just imagine as he's walking down the street in Jerusalem. Everybody running over to the other side of the street to where his shadow was falling. You just imagine dragging people across the road when they misjudged where the sun was positioned. Here is this natural shadow being used in a supernatural way. God takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. The natural makes it supernatural. It goes on to say this crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. And all of them, not a few of them, not a handful of them, not a couple of them, all of them were healed. This was the spirit breaking out in the early church. This is after the day of Pentecost. This is the explosion at the start of the church and everyone had their demons cast over them and the sick were healed. And interestingly, it's very clear, two separate, two separate categories, those who had impure spirits and those who were sick, both healed and both delivered in absolutely extraordinary ways. And the response of the spiritual leaders, of the religious leaders, was they became jealous of the power of God at work through these disciples, specifically in this case, through Peter. What was it like to be in Jerusalem and to come home having been sick? 
And you stand at the door and the family say, what happened to you? You went to the guy's shadow fell on top of me. I mean, even now people in, in some cultures still are very cautious and careful about shadows. They still worry about shadows. And they people who make deliberate efforts to stand in the shadow of an influential good person and keep their children or keep people out of the shadow of people that they consider to be evil. It is a superstitious belief. And yet here it becomes supernatural by the power and influence of God. Superstition has no power. Would anybody out there say amen? Amen. God's power is real and it is for now and it is for today. Here, let's look at another one. This is a third one. I'm just going to use these three. And this is the one that started me on the whole process because I just love what happens in the story. Many of you will be familiar with it if you've read the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 19. Paul is in the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus is a superstitious place. They're full of all sorts of mysteries and magic. It's a particularly superstitious place. And strange things happen in Ephesus that aren't recorded anywhere else in the scriptures or in the New Testament. Again, we're in the book of Acts. Here's where it says. We're talking about sweating in the spirit. If you type in sweating in the spirit into YouTube, you're going to get a bunch of people in leotards dancing around with headbands. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. Look, this is what I'm talking about. God did extraordinary miracles. I love the way extraordinary miracles has to be underlined or spelled out. That this was extraordinary. Miracles are kind of extraordinary, aren't they? As a general rule, they But this was so unusual in the scriptures, they call it an extraordinary miracle through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Paul is going about his daily work. He's just doing his regular living. He's making a living for himself. He's making tents at this time. He had met Priscilla and Aquila in the city of Corinth and he, he kind of met up with them and he went back to tent making to support his own work. We read it in Ephesians chapter 20 where Paul says that when, when he was leaving Ephesus he said, these hands of mine earned my own living while I was doing all of this. But while Paul is walking away in the sweaty workshop of what is modern day Turkey, he's walking away and he's sweating as he goes along and he's kind of getting out the cloth to give himself a wipe. Here's my bandana that I brought in this morning as a prop. So he's wiping off the sweat off his face and off his neck as he's walking. It's hard work. He's walking in leather and stitching and making tents. And he's walking away and he puts down the cloth and somebody comes in and takes the cloth and takes away and touches somebody else's body and they're healed away. Now we don't read that Paul was going around doing this by the way. What we do read, what we do read, is that people were taking them from him. So it's, an, it's in all likelihood, people recognized the power of God that wasn't working Paul, and they stole the rags from Paul, and went off and laid them on the sick, such was their belief in the power of God flowing through Paul. Of course, we see that as an authentic sign that God was with Paul and that his spirit was flowing through him. Let me put in one little caveat. This is followed by the story of the Magnificent Seven, the story of the seven sons of Sceva, who tried to mimic this activity of delivering people from evil spirits and got their heads kicked off and were sent bleeding naked from the house. That's literally the next three or four verses. And we see here that they weren't able to do what Paul was doing so naturally because God was with Paul so far as that he was practically sweating in the spirit. And this is, 
This is just such an unusual and miraculous sign. It is so unique, even in the scriptures. It's, it's kind of unheard of, other than in this particular instance. So I love the idea that Paul, whether he's sowing in the spirit, or whether he's sowing spiritual seed, he's still working, and all of his work is God's work. He doesn't have some differentiation between his regular work and his spiritual work. He didn't see some work as being holy work and some work as being kind of, you know, just regular, awful work. He didn't see that some of his work was secular and some of his work was sacred. All the work he did, Paul did to honor God. Now there's something that we need to pay attention to in the middle of all this. The question has arisen because it's happened so many times in Christian history. How do we know that today we're not supposed to be taking sweaty handkerchiefs from Grace Christian Church after a busy Sunday morning and taking them home to heal our grandmother. How do we know that? Well, you know, he, here, he, here's a very simple rule. One, is it a one-off event in the scriptures? In this case, it is a one-off event. It is never again repeated, meaning that it probably isn't normative for the church to be doing this. Doesn't mean it can't happen. But it does mean that if Tom opens a company selling handmade healing hankies to the UK, you should not be buying one. Mm. And if someone talks to us trying to sell you a, a handmade hanky that will heal you, don't buy it. Okay, just just uh, take it from Michael. Just don't buy it. Don't fall for it. But so you see, did it happen once? Take an example of the. The baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, chapter 2. We read in the book of Acts, chapter 2, we read the story that the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples and it's accompanied by some things. Two things in particular, three things in particular. Obviously, speaking in tongues. We saw Tom speaking in tongues just a few minutes ago. I speak in tongues every day, I pray every day when I speak in tongues. We see that. But it's accompanied by, in that case, a rushing wind and flames of fire. But then when we see a baptism of the Holy Spirit happen in Acts chapter 10 in the house of Cornelius, there's no wind and there's no tongues of fire. So you can't say, well, you weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit because there was no wind and no tongues of fire. So here is something that is repeated, but parts that are missing. It doesn't mean it can't happen, but it doesn't mean that it must be normative. Here's the last thing. Is it repeated and is it confirmed from other places in the scripture? For instance, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens in, in the book of Acts, it's confirmed with Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament, and subsequently by the gifts that Paul explains right throughout the New Testament, but looks specifically at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 when he talks about spiritual gifts and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So here is something that is repeated and affirmed, probably should be normal in the church, something that is one-off and not affirmed in other places in scripture, probably shouldn't be. But back to the work thing. You see, this is it. Everybody works. You might say, well, I have no job at the moment, I'm on a PUP. You work, okay? You, whether, you're, whether you're cleaning your home or looking after the children, whether you are doing something really, really important, whether you're a frontline worker or some such thing, you work. Everybody works. Everybody works. The, and the thing for Paul that I see here, and what I want to draw out of it very specifically, is that God was with Paul in whatever work he did. His tent making and his sowing was blessed just as much as his spiritual sowing was blessed because God was with him and what he did, he did for the purpose of bringing glory to God. This is one I like this quote by a Christian writer called David Parson. Many of you will have heard of him before. David Parson said this about the kingdom of God. I love what he says. He says, The kingdom of God is both an offer and a demand. We work out what he works in. The kingdom of God brings, gives us life, gives us power, 
gives us the Spirit of God at work in us. It is the advancement of God's rule. But it also gives us a responsibility that we must work it out. God works it into us. And it's like, it's like the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like yeast that's added to a bunch of, that added to a batch of dough. It's worked through us. And then it must be worked out. We have to work out what it is that God has put into us. And here Paul is working it out. And what happens in the process of working out is that ordinary, everyday life becomes extraordinary. And we begin to see extraordinary things happen just in the ordinary. The natural things we do, suddenly we begin to see supernatural events. Things that we pray for begin to happen. We begin to see people change in their attitudes towards us and so on and so forth. We see, sometimes we see healing miracles. Pray for a worker, for the worker, and somebody is healed and they get a miracle. And they look to the Christian and go, wow, this is amazing. But all you've been doing is faithful and work. You've just been working it out. You see, that's the whole point about becoming a Christian. When we become a Christian, it's not now lay back and wait for the sweet boy and wife to come calling. God expects us to work out our salvation. Paul says it literally in Philippians chapter 2. We have to work out our salvation. And sometimes working it out can be and feel like hard work. Sometimes it can feel like hard work. Here's some examples. For instance, Paul talks about sowing in the spirit, he talks to Galatians, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8. Those who sow to please the spirit will reap from that spirit good things. Those who sow to the sinful nature will reap from that bad things. And he goes on to say this, he says, and we will we'll reap a fantastic harvest if we keep on going. He continues on in, in Galatians chapter 6. But it involves working, it involves actually working, you know, it means making deliberate and intentional efforts to sow to the spirit. But it's not about sowing to the spirit, it's not some kind of mysterious function that we do, it's being disciplined even in the way that we pray, and the way that we live over our lives, and the way that we prioritize our lives. Sowing in the spirit will bring us a rich harvest in the end if we stick with it, brothers and sisters. Would anyone say amen? Amen. He goes on to talk to you. He talks about walking in the Spirit. He says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of your sinful nature. Just walk in the Spirit and you, those things won't happen, he says. If you just walk, but it involves walking it out. We talk about the walk of life. We talk about walking through a situation, which basically means Working through a situation. What's your work today? What's your ordinary work today? Can you see God do extraordinary things through your work? Here he talks about working in the spirit. This is obviously is a verse related directly to the Ephesian church. To the church at Ephesus that we read the story of Paul about from just a few minutes ago. Working in the spirit. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship created to do good things which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. What's going on you is not accidental, it's not coincidental, it's not some, something mysterious, it's God's work at work in you and he has called you to work it out in your life. He has called you to good work. So it doesn't matter what really your job is. If your job is a college professor, or uh, you're a physician, or if you're a parent, shout out to the parents out there. Not an easy job. I know, I have it. 
It's not an easy job. But if your job is a parent, if your job is a student, if you're a student at the moment and studying is your job, or maybe you have a part-time job, if you're a student, if you're a worker, if you're a social care worker, if you're a street sweeper, if you're a nurse like Vivian just a while ago, you are working it out. In actual fact, all of those things can be empowered by the Spirit of God. Imagine what it would be like parenting with the power of the Spirit flowing through you. Empowering you to be able to do what God has called you to do. Enabling you to be a good employee. Enabling you to serve well in that way. You see, to Paul, there was no sacred work, like I said. No holy work and no normal work. All work was God's work. In the Old Testament, there was a clan and a class of people who were called to the priesthood and their job was to do the sacred work of the temple. But when we come to the New Testament, we read clearly that now we are all part of God's priesthood. We are now all called to the sacred duty of serving God with our lives as part of our normal lives. What's even better, he has given us the spirit to be able to do it. He makes our ordinary work extraordinary. Do you want the extraordinary at work in your life? And it's all about perspective. Look what Paul writes to the church at Colossae. Here's what he says to them. He says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. What a fantastic perspective changer. It changes the nature of your work. Again, like they said, if you're a parent or a physician or a college professor, it doesn't matter. It changes the nature of your work if you're working for the Lord rather than for people. If your work is actually to bless God, then you will have a different perspective and a completely different attitude to it. It changes everything. I read during the week, I thought it was a, a really good quote, a really good quote during the week about the difference between having to do something and getting to do something. So if, if our attitude to life in terms of our work and what we have to do is that we have to do this. I have to look after the kids. I have to get a Valentine's Day gift for my wife. I have to get a birthday present for my, for, my, for my son. If that's your attitude, all of life will be a drudge. But what if you were to change that and say, I get to look after the kids. I get to do this job. I get to sweep those floors. I get to get my wife a Valentine's Day card. What if we just changed our perspective ever so slightly, and in my opinion, this is the great perspective changer on the work and the life that we do, and that is that we are serving the Lord and not just people. If that's our home and attitude, it means that we will do the best work that we can. We will commit ourselves as ably and as physically ably as we can to the work we're doing if the work we're doing is serving God himself. Some people have the idea that work gets in the way of the service of God, that it couldn't be further from the truth. The work you do is in the service of God. I can put a lot of caveats in that, but I'm not going to bother about that. You know, because when we work with that attitude, it actually has an effect on the people around us. The people around us notice our attitude more than anything else. I like the, 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 the leadership writer, John Maxwell, he spoke about attitude. He said, attitude is more honest than your words ever will be. Your attitude is radiant. It actually radiates from you. And so if your attitude is that you are serving God in your work, it will have an effect. I like what 
John Piper said about the effect. He talks about the ripple effect of the good things that we do and the work that we do, which is just our work. It's not some special secret work. You really want to get that under your skin. It's not some special holy work. It's just the work we do. Whether we are a supervisor or a surveyor, whether we're a manager of people or we're under management, whatever our position is, what we're doing, if we do it in honor and service of God, it changes the nature of our work. Here's what he wrote about the effects. Sorry, I pressed the wrong button. Have I gone the wrong way? Have I gone the wrong way? You're going to come up to me? You're not going to come up to me, are you? No, my quote's not going to come up. That's okay. He talked about the ripple effect. He says that the good works that we do for Jesus are like pebbles dropped into a pond that send out ripples. He says, we are not in control of the ripples. The Lord is the ruler of the ripples. He allows those effects to change and be influential in the lives of people around us. But there is both an intrinsic and an extrinsic reason for working in this way. Because you know, when we serve God in whatever role or whatever position we do, and we take those ordinary lives that we live, and we take those everyday normal lives that we live, and we commit them into God's hands, and work with them with the intention of honoring and pleasing Him, something else happens. There is a reward. Here's what Paul goes on to say. So remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Imagine that. You go into work and someone says, oh, who do you work for? You say, oh, I work for Pfizer, I work for Janssen. No, I work for Jesus. I work for God. All of the work I do for God. What a great attitude that would be to have. An inward attitude. I'm not entirely sure that you should stand up to your boss next Monday and say, actually, I work for God here. No, this is an attitude of heart as much as it is of anything else. But he says, remember the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. God is no man's debtor. That which we do for him, he rewards us for. He gives us an inheritance. We are getting, we are gaining incredibly, not only in this life, but in the next life. I should have put that the other way around. Not only in the next life, but in this life also. God honors our work and rewards us. Does anybody out there want a reward for an inheritance? I do, and you will receive one. Because God always blesses his people would anyone say amen so when you get up tomorrow morning and wipe the sleep from your eyes and face another day of whether it's minding kids or whatever it is that you're doing you can put in your own caveat tomorrow i have to do x how's about saying tomorrow i get to do x i get to do that job and i get to do it to honor god through it because that's how god takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. What was the extraordinary thing about the miracle that Paul did with the sweaty rags that were carried on? He didn't do it, that people were taken from. The extraordinary thing was this. Paul wasn't setting out to do any miracles. Paul wasn't setting out to heal anybody. He was just doing his daily job honoring God in what he was doing. Do you want God's blessing on your work life? Do you want God's blessing on the things that you do? then change your perspective and do the things you do for him. Because then you are living out of not only the intrinsic nature, who you are as a Christian believer, but the extrinsic reward that God will bless your life and provide for you in every way, not only in the life to come, but in this life also, because the Lord is your shepherd and you will not 
want. Would anyone say amen? Amen. I want to pray in just a moment uh, before I do. But before I do that, I want to just share one thing with you. It's a, and it was yesterday as I was reading, I was praying, I was reading in the book of Exodus. Reading about the, the Exodus itself in Exodus chapter 20, chapter 10. And it was actually talking about the deliverance of the children of Israel. It's actually before they actually left. And it's talking about the plague of locusts. So locusts are very interesting, very symbolic. They're very symbolic of being stolen from, being robbed or of our lives or of our resources being devoured. And I feel this morning as I, as I finish up, I think there's something important to say. I believe God wants to speak to some people here who are tuning in. I think these people may be working in social care and in care homes, or, or, or maybe not, they may be working in another situation. You know it yourself, but it was a situation in which they felt that their lives and their finances were being devoured by locusts. And though I don't know what the locust represents in your life, I think it's somebody who's maybe causing a hassle or causing you trouble or a situation in your life that is draining you of your resources, emotional, physical, financial, psychological. But you know, there's this great verse in this passage that I feel God wants to speak to you today in that situation, to say this to you. It says that God left, or Moses left the presence of Pharaoh and he prayed to God about the locusts. Now you can confront every locust in your life if you want to. You can say, I'm going to pick a fight with every locust and sort out every argument and go through every detail with every locust who's draining you of your life and of your energy if you want to. Or you can experience what happened to Moses. It says God heard Moses' prayer and he sent a strong west wind and it blew all of the locusts into the Red Sea. It just blew them all. The wind is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, of course. And the wind just blew in, and the circumstances changed, and there wasn't any big fight. They didn't have to get out the DDT. They didn't have to get out the roundup to start out all the, all the locusts. God's Spirit moved and changed their situation. I believe today that God wants to speak to some today who are dealing with locusts in the workplace. And the Lord wants to say to you, be waiting on my spirit because the wind is going to change. The wind is going to change. And it goes on to say that not a single locust was left anywhere in the land of Egypt. They were all gone. And all it was was the wind. Circumstances changed. Something changed. An attitude changed. And I believe that that's what your lot is. And God is speaking to you. Have hope. Have faith. I want to pray. I want to pray for you today. If you're going about your ordinary day. And you want to know the extraordinary at work in you. I want to change the way that you perspectivize your life. The way that you look at your life. What are you doing? What are you living for? How are you going about your business? Remember that Paul said to the Colossians, It is Christ that you are serving. That's who you're serving. You're not serving people. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for those who today are experiencing the locust experience on their lives. Psychologically, spiritually emotionally, financially, materially, whatever way Lord, the locusts have descended upon these people. Father in heaven, I pray that the wind of your spirit would blow them into the Red Sea, that these locusts would be drowned in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would have the right perspective on the work that you call us to do. Whatever the nature of that work is, Lord, that we would do it with an attitude of wanting to please you. And in that, we would know your Holy Spirit at work in us. Taking the ordinary, everyday things of our lives and making them 
extraordinary. Would you, Lord, in this coming week, display your power to us, Lord, and show your extraordinary spirit at work in our realities, Lord, whether it's by the sweat, the sweat of our brow, or whatever way we work this week, Lord, I pray that wherever our shadow falls, wherever our, our, our sweat is spilled, Lord, wherever it is that we work and we labor, your spirit would be with us. Remembering all the time, as Tim sang so clearly, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I pray, Lord, that this word would sink into your people's hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would sink into our hearts and we would change perspective on the things that we have to do rather than the things that we get to do. May this week be blessed in every way we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and God's people say, Amen. 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 Thank you, Michael. Doesn't that just give you a different uh, view of your Monday morning? Instead of, uh, oh no, the Monday blues, you go, what opportunity has God got for me today to shine? I just want to give a big shout out to everyone who's working from home. And some people live alone and they work from home alone. And that's very challenging because God made us social. We hang in there another little bit, but the day is coming when we connect again. But a big shout out to you and may God bless you mm. in your workplace. Even though it's just digital, God can still greatly use you. Amen. 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 Well, as you may have uh, heard and remember, we had the Great Grace Quiz a little earlier on. And the whole thing about the uh, quiz the question that we had was, what does going for a bazaar mean in Cork? Is it horse riding, is it hill walking, or is it a haircut? Well, the answer is, da -da 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 -da, it's going for a haircut. So if you didn't come from Cork, uh, and someone says to you, did you get a bazaar? That's what it means, did you get a haircut? Mm -hmm. So our winner, I've been told by the secret judge, has messaged in, and the winner, I've been told, is Will Leoncio. Congratulations, Yay! Will. God bless you and your beloved wife, Melissa, and the family. Will, who originally comes from the Philippines, I don't imagine they use the word basar in the Philippines, but respect to you, Will, for knowing that. That really is impressive. Thank you to everyone who took part. It is a little bit of fun. It's not that serious, but you know what? We're, all, we're allowed to have fun, and it's good that we all are able to also um, just have a bit of community through the quiz. So we'll have a special Irish question for our quiz next week. Can I remind you again that next Sunday, if you are up for it, just in case you joined us during the broadcast, we're just looking for a couple of short, under a minute, greetings on a video, just something on the phone. Look, you don't have to be putting on your makeup, alright, or your wig or anything like that. Just be yourself. Just someone saying hello. We want to play a couple of hellos for the next Sunday and the one after, given that it's Patrick's celebration and Patrick's week. So maybe you'd say hello that way if you're up for it. Just WhatsApp myself or Michael. Okay, well, we come towards a close, but we're not quite finished yet. We have a beautiful song by a guy called Jeremy Riddle, and uh, you might know this song, it's called At Your Name, Yahweh. Yahweh is the Hebrew word for God. 
the Jews, even to this day, the really um, ultra-Orthodox Jews, won't even spell the name fully. They're in such reverence. But that name is Yahweh, or Lord, or God. So this song is called At Your Name, Yahweh. It's by Jeremy Riddle. Let's just maybe try and worship a little bit for the last few minutes of our broadcast. And remember, click share if you're on Facebook and get the word out there. And by God's grace, we look forward to seeing you all next Sunday when we gather together again. Remember, Zoom is going on during the week. Tribe Youth is on at half one. Kids Church, it's all happening.